Welcome to Make No Bones. I'm Emily Barton Altman. And I'm Toby Altman. Make No Bones is a podcast about poets and poetry. Each episode, we ask a poet to read a poem and talk about it. They tell us how they wrote it and explain how it reflects the broader priorities of their work. This week's episode features Jennifer Nelson. Hi, I'm Jennifer Nelson. Jennifer Nelson's first book of poems, Aim at the Centaur, Stealing Your Wife, came out with Ugly Duckling Press in December 2015. Second, Civilization Makes Me Lonely, was chosen by Ann Boyer for the Sawtooth Prize and will appear from Asada Press in the spring of 2017. Nelson's other work has appeared recently in Bathhouse, Lit, Pinwheel, Rec Park, and elsewhere. She is currently an assistant professor of art history, theory, and criticism at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. We talked to Jennifer about her love of literature and the way her practice has evolved into a form of resistance. I don't ever remember not writing. Yeah, like I definitely could like read and write before I could like talk to other humans properly. <laughs> I was like really early on into just like words and my father uh, especially was really, really into books. And so I don't know if you guys know about like in say the national review i'm sure it's not just the national review but that's the kind of stuff we had at home when i was a kid um they're like these advertorials or advertisements that are like look like get all of the great books of the western tradition and like leatherback with like um you know gilt edges and everything and once we were out of like the kmart years and like my dad got promoted my mom got promoted um we got like the whole set like we just had like all the books and they were like and these like classic like dark red and like nice fancy old book colors and like just this whole room in our house was just like the library and he had um a pedestal with like the dictionary lying open on the pedestal as if it was like a spell book and we had like a sword (laughs) like attached to one of the rafters i mean it was just like this cool space and um later on that's where the computer also went when we got a computer So I guess like there was just always this space and I definitely like just read things that I was not ready. I like read Schopenhauer when I was like 10. Did I understand a word? No. I mean, I understood some things, but like not really. Um, But also Keats, Um, just all sorts of random classics. And so I think, you know, I had a real appreciation um, and especially I guess for the canon because inevitably that's what was there. But also a lot of science fiction and fantasy, because um, that's what my dad actually read. So I also wanted to like talk to him about it, so I would read the things he was reading. In terms of poetry, that started in a serious way um, my first year of high school. And um, like I just know so many people still who had the same teacher. There was this one teacher at Milton Academy, his name was um, Mr. Connolly. And he like just like inspired everyone there were all these like national award-winning poets at my like high schoolers like it was just like churning them out like five a year or something and they all wrote like amazing poems and he had them all over the walls of his classroom and I would just hang out there after school because like my parents couldn't get out of work till late and um you know like just kind of like I mean it sounds a little creepy but I was just like so into them and I would just like do homework there I mean I didn't yeah, I mean, I didn't really do a lot of homework in high school, but I would just like hang out there and read the poems. And I still like remember some of them. And I just remember feeling like this is this other level of really present reality. 
and I want to like participate in it. And also like it doesn't hurt that like the first time I tried it, like I made something that like didn't suck. And then the second time, like the second poem I wrote in high school, I was like, I still to this day think it's kind of good. Like it was just something I learned to be, I was like good at in terms of like just technical facility. Um, I didn't, I, I don't, still don't, I'm not really sure if I've ever written anything like very good, but just in terms of technical facility, it was like very easy and it was something I got how to do and felt, it felt so comfortable because it was so uncertain and didn't have to like, I don't know. I was good at math too, but I liked that there were these two options like of, of dealing with the world. I think if you're doing good work, there has to be some emotional lever, like somewhere, even if it's not an easy one-to-one -one correspondence, like between like, oh, like I'm a person who's of mixed race and mixed class in the US, therefore I'm gonna write about weird sundials that work in Constantinople and Nuremberg. Like it's not obvious, right? But there is something there. Like I think about Nietzsche and like the most interesting thing that happened like the most interesting discussion I've ever had about Nietzsche was like actually with my brother who was like uh like I couldn't read Nietzsche because he's like so angry <laughs> but I really realized I was like yeah I think this guy like obviously smart and everything but like the most influential and powerful and productive crystallization of his ideas came out of anger I feel or impatience or just these feelings and I don't understand how like still today, people can't, un like no one wants to admit that like the best thought comes out of emotions. There's this idea that like, oh, you're being emotional. That's like just basic level, like anti-woman stuff. But like even people who work on affect theory, they, the whole like premise is that these are, should be separated so as to give like affect its due. And I'm like, well, <laughs> no. Like the like, think of anything really smart or awesome or that's been super productive for you ever. And it's like, that didn't come out of like, oh, I took a beta blocker and have no feelings. That comes out of like some long-term anger or long-term dissatisfaction or something at least, I don't know. I have this thing where I have to write a poem every week because otherwise I won't like write poems. I have been doing this for a long time with my friend Allie Power um, and recently also with Levi Rubeck and I just decided that if I like write to another person they have to write to me. It's also inspiring because you see their work and what they're doing. Um, I haven't yet really been able to collaborate well with others but I think dialogue is something that it's weird. I like worry that if I don't talk to other people in my poems, even a little, they'll just like go crazy and bad. Like sometimes in Ann Arbor when I didn't really have people to talk to, because it's different talking to just people on the phone and like after a while you exhaust all your friends on the phone. And I like found myself just, I mean, it's not like the worst thing in the world, but like, you know, going into like weird regions of mental health, just like having more paranoid fantasies about the world you know, talking to myself involuntarily. And it's like, those habits also exist in poems. I think about just being in Ann Arbor, just feeling like so isolated and um, really overwhelmed by white liberalism 
and um, you know everybody is very civilized there, but I just wasn't really a part of that. Um, you know, not just a racial, not not saying that just racially, but also you know it was outrageous that a woman might be there in her 30s who wasn't looking to be part of a partnership or family unit. Um, just constant like awareness of that in a way I'd never felt before moving to that place. And, um, but also the racial thing, just having, being questioned as to like where I'm from. I mean, that's happened to me before, but it just, the density of it was really strange and feeling suddenly like, wow, there are people here who don't have a lot of models like me. So now suddenly I have to step up and it just made me feel isolated. And and yeah, so civilization made me lonely. <laughs> and I guess I wanted to write a book that, well, I didn't want to write a book, but I wanted, I think the poems that ended up being part of that book um, were fighting a way out of that, maybe even as they were kind of just acknowledging that that was what was going on. Obviously, things have been bad in this country for a while, but since the election, I have felt an imperative. Just naturally, when writing, I don't even try, but it just seems to come out that I have to resist somehow, um, more maybe than before, more overtly. One of my friends started a Facebook group. Oh, I don't want to out it, so I'm not going to say the name, but the name is really cool and it rhymes. And it's a Facebook group for um, just bad funny verse about like resisting um and ever since that group started i like i'm like lying down you know like when you're lying down in bed and something there's like a puzzle that happened during the day or something you couldn't remember during the day and then like suddenly it comes to you or whatever or that happens in the shower too and i think the prompt of this group just like standing there somewhere else on the internet is like like I kept thinking of new like things I wanted to put on posters or new funny verse I would make that's like shitting on the guy that's the president and his minions or the people, the minions that are actually he's the minion of. Um, and so, yeah, like there was just this overflow of, you know, I don't actually go out marching like every day, although maybe I should. So there was just like an overflow or excess of these ideas. And I thought, well, I can like use them for poems, but actually they're not good in the poems. So then I was like, well, I'll just use them as titles for all the poems I have to write. So this poem might be part of a series that has for its titles, things I wanna put on posters when I protest stuff or resist. And so the title of this might be number two. I don't even know if this series exists, but it might be the second one. And the title is Compassion for Humans. Persuasion is a long game reliant on erotic nostalgia. And I welcome the return of the long day birds on wires shiny through winter scum hopping a video of a girl beneath rubble I cannot finish clicking nor turn on the sound 
imagining instead a PBS special on archaeology, a careful brush, an ostracon, a line of dusty children with potsherds on their brows, modeling art's collapse of time. I have no room for affect except empathy, the best thought driven by emotion always, which is why men fear it. We all know we're best when angry from love and thinking through it. Many seasons angry from love and thinking through it. This episode of Make No Bones was produced and edited by Toby and Emily Altman in Chicago, Illinois. The music for this episode is by Toby Altman. If you like what we do, check out our website, makenobonespodcast.org, for all of our episodes. Or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And please consider rating us on iTunes. It really helps get the word out. Join us next time for an interview with Olivia Cronk.